Before we start this episode, I'd like to thank you for your continued support of the Nowhere Fast podcast. If you have a minute or two to spare, and you've been enjoying these interviews, please consider leaving a rating or review. If you liked a specific episode, share it with your friends. It really helps spread awareness, and helps a whole new audience find the show. For any other information you might need, visit www.nowherefaststudio.com. Once again, thank you for listening. Enjoy the episode, and enjoy the rest of your week. My last guest asked, um, not for any reason at all, they just were curious about who was next after them, and this is after we confirmed, so I said, Dane McDonald, and they knew of you as Dane Gretzky. <laughs> so they're an Edmontonian, I can tell you that right now. Yeah, no, they, they, they've moved a while ago which is why i didn't know if they would actually know they aren't like really a music person either right so i i said your name and they immediately said dan gretzky and that made me think like what what era was that for you oh god i mean it was god it's hard to put a finger on it but it was like rob clark actually who who coined that just because like I played hockey my whole life and you know, I'm not terrible at it. I could play hockey and uh, um, I'm trying to like think when we were probably like, it's probably early on before, before or like, right. No, probably before Rob even had his first kid, Eric, when he actually had like, time to go play outdoor shinny hockey <laughs> um in edmonton but it was probably 2003 four maybe five ish time um i guess thinking about it it's like probably like right after i started working at treehouse which was probably about 2003 or four it's hard. It's hard. I mean, God, it's forever ago. It's kind of, I was, I've, I've actually been reminiscing a lot about like, you know, with this upcoming reminiscing about, you know, early Edmonton. And it's like, I can remember most things, but like timing is the one thing that's difficult just because, you know, that was 20 years ago. Yeah. And like a, a lot, I'm sure a lot happens in every every city and every scene, but it seems like just from the people I've been able to kind of pick their brains about this stuff, there's a lot happening in that span of time. Would you agree like a lot has happened in the 20 years or does it seem like? For sure. It's like, it's, it's, I was recently at a, at a event here in Vancouver and I was like talking with my friend Pat um about like early early Edmonton sort of like music scene which was like I don't know uh, I think a lot of people sort of like Canada wide are like pretty unaware of like how actually kind of wild it was in Edmonton I mean there was three thriving after hours at least when I got into things there was like very regular um 
like three, four, five, six thousand person raves in Edmonton. Um, it was like kind of a crazy time, you know. I I, I got into it at the, like the the tail end of of everything before. I guess two thousand three was kind of like the catalyst year of of you know the city stepping in and putting bylaws in place and kind of sort of shutting down everything almost almost on a you know whole scale uh sort of systematic sort of tearing apart of Edmonton's rave scene but like before that it was it was kind of amazing you know there was therapy uh climax g spot for after hours which i love telling people those names cuz it's just like so so absurd um but you know, each of those clubs were like climax was probably the smallest, and it was like a two three hundred cap after hours that went till God knows when. You know, like eight nine ten eleven twelve in the morning. You know, every Friday and Saturday night. Whereas therapy was three floors, G spot was huge. You know, there was there was a lot going on. You know, big raves at Polish Hall and Shaw Conference. You know, wherever else it was, it was a, an amazing time, really. You know, and 2003 was kind of when it ended. Super, super interesting way to start it off. I kind of an a novice in in most of this stuff. More just interested in the history than pretending I was a part of it back then. But I had no idea that the city changed the laws and started imposing new things that kind of hindered like the the rave scene back then. I had no idea. Oh, for sure. I mean, there was there was a a big event called you know Save the Rave, where it was like a Saturday morning afternoon kind of thing, where like a few like I don't know, I can't remember how many people, but like there was like two couple thousand at least something. I mean, my my recollection could be could be could be wrong but there was like a ton of people that showed up at the legislature grounds to protest all these like bylaws that were about to be handed down by the city it didn't work you know basically killed killed the after hours um made made doing like large scale massives very difficult uh and costly and things like that so like that was that year was a really pivotal year because like before that it was like you didn't even have to be 18 you didn't even need a government issued id to get into after hours like i had a i started going when i was 15 to therapy and i had a faked high school id where i scratched out the five and put a three so i could get in and it worked and it it worked to the point where i mean you know alicia schick yeah uh ali used to work the door and I remember, I like vividly remember the day after I turned sixteen, where I brought my actual ID to the club, and you know you have to show it, you know, of course, whatever you show it at the door. And she looked at it, and previously she thought I was eighteen years old because I was going to to Lush. Friends were sneaking me into Lush and the Rev at that time, you know, because you know therapy and like those buildings are interconnected yeah. you know their therapy was where the old why or where why after hours is um and there's hallways and whatever that interconnect those buildings and 
I showed my ID and she looked at me and she was like, are you fucking kidding me? You're 16 years old and you were 15. Like it was, it was really interesting, you know, to like think back and to sort of recall how like loose and strange things were. Very cool. Cause now, nowadays you couldn't really, I mean, for a million reasons that wouldn't work, but also you couldn't really claim you were 18 when you weren't because people would probably have seen your social media or something that would have kind of oh for sure yeah yeah it's different times you know nothing <laughs> you know the modern world didn't exist it was it was you know flip phones and <laughs> uh nokias and you know and god yeah you, you just didn't even you didn't need a, a government issued id to do any of these things you were just you know it was kind of free-for-all it's like if you could vaguely prove that you were 16 years old, you were allowed to go. That's absolutely wild to think about now. Do you know, was there like any, any specific incident why the city kind of wanted to shut down this after hours culture? Or was it just kind of part of the, the, the scheme like were they just it was like on the docket of things to shut down or was there it was just growing too big and they were worried it would get even more out of control i mean i think i don't know if it was like one particular incident that existed but like it was i'm trying to recall if it was like almost maybe even on an international scale um I know for a fact it was like it kind of base it basically coincided with like what Calgary was doing, what Vancouver was doing, um, and I don't know. It it just seemed like that was kind of. I mean, to me, that's kind of when like, like a, you know, when proper raving ended. You know, in a sense, like raving is like, you know walking into a unused warehouse space and setting up speakers and inviting a bunch of people operating in like very vague gray areas and like throwing a party whereas like now you know post 2003 everything has to be licensed everything has to be this everything has to be that and really i just think it was it was kind of the way everything went it was, it was countrywide it was basically like this sort of era of of raving was over you know, in Edmonton, it was, it was, you know, there was parties at the Polish Hall, Nexus was doing stuff like in fields outside of the city, busing people out, all this crazy stuff. And then after that, it was, it barely existed, moved into clubs and like kind of got taken over by sponsorship and money. And I mean, there was like Benson and Hedges and Heineken parties and like all this weird weird stuff that kind of happened after that and it like the whole shift of dance music really changed around that time yeah i was actually gonna ask you like how how good of a job did they do at eradicating the culture like was there still things happening under the radar but it sounds like you're saying they actually did a, a decent job of getting rid of it oh they were very successful i mean climax g-spot closed can't remember how long after, but like quite soon. Uh, Therapy also closed. Uh, Tony ended up buying 
buying the space and, and turning it into wide after hours, but had to like go through, go through a rigmarole to, to, you know, get proper licensing and blah, 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 to do it. Uh, um, you know, there were still big parties existing, but they were far less frequent, a lot harder to do. There were these like, these gomp parties kind of continued on, but like, you, you know, this sort of idea of like a, you know, an all night sort of party, but they were like not nearly on the scale of what they were previous. You know, there was parties where like Paul Oakenfold and Paul Van Dyke and, you know, just like these massive two, three room, thousands of people events going on to like nothing. You know, it was just like parties at Reds or the Standard or whatever, which which, you know, ended at regular bar hours. And that was kind of like the end of it. I mean, it was it was definitely. I think they had become very aware of sort of the drug culture that existed around these things and blah, 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 blah. But like for the most part, they 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 did their job, at least what they thought was their job to put an end to a lot of that stuff you know pretty catastrophic to 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 the scene it was everything went to you know if you wanted to do something it had to be this little tiny diy kind of thing that you you know had to do it's interesting do you think they were like watching the scene unfold for a bit and kind of like waiting until they had a scapegoat like kind of until they could blame the drug use to shut it all down or do you think they shut it down like pretty quickly after catching wind of it all? I, you know, it's hard to say to be honest. Cause I mean, I was, I was a kid at that time, you know, like 2003, I would have been 18, you know, like so young. And you know, when you're that age, you're more concerned about what you're doing it, you know, on the weekend than you know, like the sort of political air of a city, but like they had they knew what was going on the police knew what was going on they would like you know like the 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 therapy parking lot was like kind of a zoo during you know at least when i first started going to parties it was like just people hanging out there was cops all over the place all the time it was like 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 no one didn't know what was going on these places existed and they were just kind of you know they didn't sell alcohol so you know, you could just do them. I don't know. It's, 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 it's a really good question. And like maybe a question for someone who was a little bit more connected to what was going on politically in the city and Edmonton and provincially, and you know, federally or whatever, but it, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough to say because, you know, it went from like, you know, almost no well i wouldn't say almost no rules but like a pretty pretty open format to what you could do to like, like nothing it's interesting you know that like seems pretty on brand for the city though i can think of a a couple other kind of subcultures that were flourishing and then just kind of shut down as soon as the city wanted to shut them down it's uh I don't mean to praise them for for getting in the way of all these kind of release subcultures, but I guess to them they are doing a good job at like you're saying what they think they need to do. They are doing. Yeah, I mean it's it's 
sort of classic government, like there's a group of people having fun and free thought. And, you know, that's, that's detrimental to government <laughs> and politics. Yeah. Like shut it, shut it down. You know, every, every sort of major movement in history, <laughs> uh, in art and culture is, you know, squashed by the powers of be. Yeah, when you put it that way, I mean, of course, it's the exact thing they look for to get in the way of, so. Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 that's what they do, you know? They don't want us having fun and, like, expressing ourselves. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> you know, that's, that's bad for business. You know, they want us to be, to be, you know, compliant, you know, purchasing capitalists, <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, raves raves were uh, were not were not in their best interest. So that's Sayonara. So the, if you're referencing getting into all this around like fifteen ish, what what were you doing before all this? Like, were you was there like what was your first subculture that kind of got you into this subculture, or like was this the first? It was really the first. I was like, God, I was a good kid. I was, uh, you know, like a little honor student playing sports, you know, junior high. I was, you know, on every school sports team and, you know, playing. I mean, I quit hockey before the end of junior high, but, um, you know, I was just like a, you know, an average normal little kid. And then uh, um, I started, I started getting into, into music, you know, nothing, nothing crazy, but I started the summer of grade nine going into grade 10. I started hanging out with a friend's older brother and his friends. And they were, they were, they were going out to, 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 to parties at that time. And that was at the sort of dawn of Napster, you know, the first sort of music piracy and and you know you know the beginning of downloading music and all this all this stuff and uh i was getting into that and i was i started getting into the music and so they were they were they were going out i was you know too young too young to go and they were going out and they were finding out track names of songs and then like coming home and that week or whatever would tell me. And I was sort of the guy that went on to Napster, searched around, dug around, find, found the songs. And then I would make, I would burn CDs, especially for my, my friend Stevie. You know, this is also the era of like putting dual 18 subwoofers in your car, you know, <laughs> and having, having these like massive car stereo systems. So I would, I would basically go and, download make a cd and we put them in his car and cruise around listening to them and that was that was sort of like my entry into dance music and really like if you think about it kind of like my entry into like digging for music you know really it was sort of like pre-mix <laughs> i was doing sounds incredible like that so, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but those are probably like some of the best days of your life, I assume. Oh, they were. I mean, it was it was incredible. I mean, I I was like a devout therapy goer. Um, and therapy was 
insane. There was three floors. The 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 the, the place was packed more. You know, every almost every Friday and Saturday night. Um, I don't know what the cap was legally or whatever, but you know, like they're not small spaces. The the upstairs they would like bring in sod for like an ambient chill room, and there was like ambient music and like grass on the floor. The main floor there was there was um, uh, you know like a slew of locals and and that was also the interesting part about it like back then there was like you weren't bringing in international headliners you weren't bringing in you know the the biggest sort of like fly-in dj you were bringing in was like someone from like toronto or 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 you know regina or you know something like that it was like almost 100 percent every night every weekend local djs which is really cool and I mean, there was this incredible community. Everybody knew each other. Everybody loved each other. It was like, it was a really incredible time. It was, it was, the you know, there was thought and effort. And, you know, there was this guy, Theo, who used to do these like really amazing visuals with like film on a projector. And it was just, it was special. It was, it was unique and incredibly fun. And, you know, very, very, you know, there was a lot of unity and, you know, mutual respect for people. And it was, it was, it was amazing. I mean, it was, you know, if you really think about it, it was, you know, very formative years of my life. And, you know, they basically formed my sort of need to dance and music for, you know, the rest of my life, <laughs> you know, it's 23, 24 years later, I'm still doing it. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible that also it just speaks for the impact it must have had on you, right? To, like, nurture a 25-year commitment to the scene based on your initial experiences is is pretty powerful. Like, that speaks volumes. You, you just mentioned that everyone kind of got along. That would have been, I want to ask before you kind of answer all the questions in my head before I ask them. Were you, since you were so young, were you like in, embraced by the culture or did people kind of make you feel like you had to prove yourself a bit? No, that was, I mean, I, another, like I, I recently had, a conversation with somebody about how like back then like i was a kid and I, I and i didn't i didn't look like an adult like i looked like a child at that time and i was hanging out with people 18 19 27 35 42 you know like there was there was no oh god it, it, it was never even a factor you know, and there was like, for me as like a young kid, be it, I was pretty outgoing and I mean, I had no fear back then. It was just like a whole, this whole bright new world that I was just enthralled and engulfed by that. So, you know, I don't, you know, nothing was going to stop me from, from, you know, pushing my way into things, but, but there was no, yeah, there was no. You know, nobody, everybody was extremely welcoming. And, you know, you look at nowadays and it's like, 
I, actually, I was having this conversation with uh, Jared, Jax, Jaxopolis and, and Isha uh, when I was in Edmonton over the holidays, where it's like nowadays, it's like a lot of these sort of music scenes, whether it be, you know, not just dance music, but punk or, you know, folk or, you know, any, any sort of scene that exists in music culture, um, most of them these days it's like you very seldomly see young people going out to events that are mostly inhabited by people in their like 30s 40s you know we you know like it's just that that crossover doesn't happen anymore and and i don't know whether it's you know like if i was a 18 19 20 year old person going out to events right now and going out to like a club or a bar where most of the people um that inhabited the space were in their 30s and 40s would be incredibly intimidating um and it's it's very rare where you know a widespread age group co-inhabits the same space um i see it in dance music most mostly and luckily i'm living in vancouver now i i i, I see it quite a bit here there's like a good mixture of young people coming out when there's a good mixture of, of older, older people going out to events. But, but back then it was like ageless. It did not matter. You know, I was a young kid hanging out with people twice my age and I don't know, it didn't, it didn't matter. It never mattered. And it was never a factor, at least to my recollection, you know? Yeah, no, I, like being involved in some of the stuff I was involved in younger, I saw more harmony back then than there is now as well. Like completely, I'm thinking more of like skate or graffiti or something, but still I can like make the comparison. There's more, more of a divide between the ages now, it seems. I actually should ask like, based on what you see in vancouver and then touring and stuff is it less divided elsewhere like i know here i think i've actually probably talked to jared and isha about almost the exact same thing is it yeah. like the worst it is in edmonton or is it like that everywhere now that time has passed oh god i mean i've only really like recently kind of started paying attention to it but um i would say for sure it's like definitely more prevalent and I, you know i don't think it's a specific city's issue i think it's it's pretty common elsewhere i do think maybe you know the bigger the market the easier it is for people of different age groups to co-inhabit the same space you know, like it's, it's, it's just less apparent, you know, if you've got a, an event where there's like a thousand people, you don't really notice like, oh, everybody here is in their 40. It's just, you, you don't necessarily notice that stuff as much. Um, I think that's in the smaller sort of scenes, that's where you really notice age and things like that. But like, also like back then, like we didn't, you didn't like call yourself a millennial or a Gen Z or a Gen X or whatever, you know, we didn't label ourselves at that time. 
No, that that actually makes so much sense. I I never heard any of that stuff. Maybe I'd heard like Gen X, I think through like an old Pepsi campaign. <laughs> I, I never heard the distinguishing of different age groups until like the the past couple of years. Yeah. In any yeah. culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, you know, we live in a time where, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's, 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 this is a, this can turn into like a grand conversation about human behavior, but, you know, it's just, it's, it's different. It's different. Back then it was, it was, it was, I don't want to say it was more inviting, but like maybe it was, you know, I was like, I was just a young kid who is like welcomed with open arms by people, by, by people of any age. I mean, my, the, the first person I started, my first gig ever was at therapy for a comp, a DJ competition. Um, and through that, um, old friend, Mindy, uh, DJ sweets. She invited me to, come play with her at therapy. And she at the time was dating Steve Kitty Tripswitch, uh, who still resides in Edmonton. Uh, and he was my favorite, favorite DJ at the time. And Steve, Steve was, I, I don't want to say an older guy at the time, but he was certainly older than me, you know, in his thirties. And we met, became fast pals and he started inviting me to come play with him. And he was like, he was playing the primetime slot on Saturdays at therapy, you know, three or four to six or, you know, five or something like that. I can't remember, but he was inviting me once a month to come play with him. And then every couple of weeks and, you know, having me out pretty regularly. And like, I was a 15, 16 year old child, you know, going and playing with this, you know, guy who'd been DJing around Vancouver he's you know originally from the UK but like he had played a lot in Vancouver and then was playing you know obviously every weekend in Edmonton and he just you know welcomed me which I'm extremely grateful because it was great experience it's like a young kid being able to like play a full room you know quite regularly but you know it was it was it was just different you know it's kind of hard to really you know when you're not aware of it you're just kind of living in it and existing but you know it'd be you know super neat to go back with the with the <laughs> you know the 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 brain i have now and kind of observe how that could happen it's interesting i uh just i don't want to harp on that anymore just one question do you think were you kind of like the the golden child like were you accepted and other people weren't or was everyone treated like no 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 everyone everyone you know like lydia i don't know if you, you do you remember lydia lydia sang she used to work at Fouche forever that it's so funny i i her name popped into my head we went to junior high school together we were like really close when we were like actually children yeah, yeah. Then I mean, she's the best. She's I think she's in she's Hong Kong right now or something like that or maybe maybe Bali. I ran into some like friends recently who live in Bali who are like pretty close with her and um miss her to death, but like 
she was like her and I are a month apart age wise. And like, you know, like it, it didn't, I wasn't the only one. There was like an incredible mixture of people who were my age, older, old, even older than that. And even older than that, you know, it didn't, it didn't matter. I, I, I don't ever remember a time during that era where like how old you were mattered which is like really cool you know it's 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 neat to to think i don't know i get i think it helped me grow up you know it's interesting give gives all the dumb reference to me like you know, me and my generation, they think there was a lot of gatekeeping happening. And now they think all the info like flows freely amongst them. And I always try to explain like, no, it was actually almost more free flowing for us. Like I, what I see, you guys protect info more than we did. But I don't know, everyone seems to think their generation had it the best so it's hard to to argue either side of it but yeah i constantly i'm trying to relate to kids that that we had it differently than they think we did in a lot of subcultures but i mean maybe they're listening and this is even more proof i mean but it's it's i mean it's 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 really it's you know it's it's hard to relate them you know because things were different like nowadays you have social media so you have access to this entire world. You know, you have at the click of a finger, you have access to any any subgenre, genre of human beings on the face of the planet. So like access to information has changed everything. You know, because back then it was like, you know, you people barely had an email. You know, yeah. at the dawn of the internet, you called your friend and you know, like, hey, is Josh home? And it's like, no, he's not. It's like, okay, cool, bye. <laughs> you know, like, like there was, there was, you know, it's just, it's, it's a different time of 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 the world. And I mean, we can we can sit and try and understand the differences, but like, really, it's like you can't compare. It's just, it's just different. You know, it's just different how how people interact with each other and age groups interact with each other as well it's 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 whether or not you're in physical form interacting with people older than you or younger than you i think nowadays you just do that you know without without even really thinking about it it's just you know like you're just sort of it's put in your face there's like no way around it it's interesting right. i mean it's these are questions that um sort of stir up a zillion other questions in my head it's 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 funny to think about what okay on this note then um how did you when you had your first show like your first like decent sized night that you wanted to promote how did you actually go about promoting that since like there was no media everything was different do you remember how you filled the room the first time you had to of course posters and word of mouth you know like that's all there was there was i mean also there was you know i don't know i don't know if this has ever come up but 
Mr. Mr. King Ron of Edmonton, who, you know, you might still see out here and there for like a good show, but he's married with children and has a different life now. But there was the E-Town rave page. Has that ever come up in any of your conversations? No, not yet, but I'm, it, it will now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it was, it was an online forum, like, I mean, you know, like you call it a blog now, but like it was, it was this online forum that existed. And that was, I can't remember if you could like promote a show within it or whatever, but that was sort of like where the beginning of the sort of dance music community existed online together um, in Edmonton. And, and so stuff happened on there, but more or less it was like, I mean, that was like, I mean, the whole culture of dance music has changed. I mean, everything back then revolved around the record shop, you know, like it was, it was the record shop employed local DJs, brought in all the music. That's where all the local DJs went to shop for music. I mean, pre pre digital music. That's just, if you wanted to DJ, you just went and bought records. That's how you did it. And so there they were like, Foosh was a ticket outlet. Uh, there was ferocious. There was, you know, there was all these uh, colorblind. There was all these other shops that sold tickets and every store that was either, you know, dance, hip hop, whatever culture, there was a flyer table. And so that's how you found out about stuff. You went and looked at the flyer table. There was post, you know, some shops maybe let, you know, bigger, bigger promoters put up a poster or whatever. But, you know, back then you were printing a thousand, two thousand, you know, four by six or eight by 10, you know, cardstock flyers and you were putting them in shops and, some people, you know, if you were brazen enough, you would go to like a competing club or party's parking lot and you put them on cars, put them under, you know, on the in the crack of the the the, the driver's side window or underneath the windshield wipers. And that was that was that was how you promoted. That was there was no other way. I feel like that. I love that to me would still work, but no one wants to find out if it would. I th I think these days there's there's way too much. Like I'm berated too much on media with everything. If I got back to Sarah's car and there was a flyer in the door, I would pay attention to what that flyer said. But I don't think everyone agrees. <laughs> Well, and I mean, novel. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, there's, you know, there's certainly the, you know, the cause of like, hey, it's extremely wasteful. And, you know, it's wasteful if you can just do it online or whatever, whatever. But it's, it's, I mean, I feel it's thoughtful. You know, it's, it's, there's, there's effort that goes into it. There's, there's physical movement that is required to make it happen, which um, at least for someone like myself uh, is meaningful. You know, I, I, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to say what's right these days or whatever. It's all a matter of opinion, subjective and objective for the most part, but, but I don't know. It was just, you really had to, to work back then. 
uh, and not to say that people don't now, but like it was, it was just different. You had to, you had to, you know, have sort of, you know, feet on the pavement going out and like, you know, three, four weeks leading up to your event, you would like go out and you'd be flying and you'd be checking on ticket numbers and, and making sure every shop's stack of posters was, was, was full and, you know, like running around parking lots, dodging around cars, ducking down, trying to like make sure you don't get caught by, you know, security. Because that was like a big deal back then. Like if security found you postering or flyering for a competing event, like they weren't happy about it. Um, so, you know, I don't know whether it's more thoughtful or not, you know, that's another subjective sort of view, but like, I don't know. I thought, I think that's like kind of beautiful in a, in a sense, you know, it's not like a design and throw it out to the ether. It's, 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 it's physical. It's real. Yeah. It's, I think one of the, one of the more beautiful things just to think about, cause you like what you're describing is the work that went in to promoting each show. Like, it wasn't 2,000 flyers and then you're set for life. It was, like, 2,000 and then your next show, 2,000 more. Like, it was a constant thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, it was you know, hitting the print shops and, and, you know, like, spending money, you know? They weren't cheap either, you know? Like, you're spending, like, like, that was part of your budget, you know? Like, was was, you know, two, three hundred dollars on, you know, cardstock and you had to make a decision on whether or not you wanted them color or not, you know, <laughs> to save cash or, you know, it, it, it's, 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 it, it was, it was neat. I, I always thought it was really cool. And, and, uh, you know, who's to say that it would, you know, work in today's market or not, but I'm kind of in the same group as you whereas like if i if i walked to my vehicle and i found a poster for an event on it i wouldn't just discard it you know i'd be what is this it would interest me uh and i would appreciate the fact that someone stepped outside of their home to go out and make them print them and disperse them around the city yeah i i agree but it's funny i should admit that I'm a total hypocrite too, because even though I, I think this sounds cool, I wouldn't, you know, I'm still promoting each of these episodes on Instagram. You know, if I thought it was really cool, I would go out and fly her, but I'm not going to. So I, I admit before any of my friends are like, oh, you like flying so much, go out and do it then. I am a hypocrite. <laughs> I mean, some, I'm not doing it either, you know, I'm, uh, I don't, uh, I, you know, in comparison to the effort I used to put in as like a younger human, I, uh, I certainly don't, uh, don't, uh, reach the mark I used to, but you know, it's different times, like impossible to relate them almost. I feel I like, I group like the, the, the OGs in the scene all together when I think like, you know, you and Rob and Justin, a bunch of people probably spent countless hours flying. And then fast forward to now, you can promote stuff on media. 
I feel like you guys earn it. It's all the new kids that, I mean, it's great that new kids can do this, but it's funny when they just post and they never, like, 15 years ago, they went out walking right at flowering. Those are the people that I take sort of an issue with, but then I think of all the hours you guys put into it and, like, just sit back and, and Instagram everything from now on. Like, you guys earned it. I mean, sure, but like, also, it's like, you know, I think people are earning earning their their place in the world in different ways now. You know, like, you know, I think I think back then we weren't like, you know, really standing up for any causes or whatever. You know, we were just like wanting to have a good time and throwing parties. And I think you know, people are earning their their place in the world and the music scene in different ways now. I mean, again, it's just like. It's just different times. It's like comparing, comparing now and 20, 25 years ago is like very difficult to do. You know, it's like saying Wayne Gretzky wouldn't be the player he is now in modern hockey. <laughs> you know, it's like you just see, uh, uh, I don't know. I take, I, I, I find it easier to, to, to try not to and to just kind of take perspective of, the reality of what things are today and just kind of go on that because God, it's a conversation and a, and an idea that I think would be very difficult to answer. Yeah, no, like absolutely. Even me just putting the thought into saying that was maybe more thought than should have been invested in. If you just kind of <laughs> look at it as it played as it lies type thing, like you're saying that probably a, a much better way to think about all of it. I mean, it's it, it, uh, uh, at least it saves me a lot of thought and effort that'll go nowhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, now, uh, one of one of the reasons, I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but one of the main reasons why it was so important for me to, to have you on here and talk to you was I've talked to a lot of people on here who were kind of like big names to me. They still are, but almost everyone that I really strive to get has some sort of reference to you. Like, I had Rob, I had Justin, a whole bunch of people, they always say, you were kind of, like, the brains of everything. Like, 9910 tied it back to you. Like, Treehouse, all this stuff. So, if everyone is kind of, like, looking at you as that guy, you must have looked at people like that, right? And I know you talked a bit about, like, your brother's older friends and some of the older people in the clubs. But is there anyone else specifically who kind of like made you what you are today? Oh, I mean, that's a very easy answer for me. Um, I mean, you say Rob and Justin, uh, you know, point fingers at me, but I can also point them right back. I mean, Rob and Justin and then later on, uh, Kyla uh, as well with 9910 in the common and 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 so on they i mean i worked for them 13 years you know from from getting on with treehouse and then moving treehouse back to back to fush and you know just being a record store guy and then like you know kind of you know taking a 
you know, a bit of a more, more of a stance in Foosh and managing there and then moving on to 99 Canon stuff. But those, those two, those three people where, I mean, they're family to me. I looked up to them, especially at a young age. I mean, you know, the people that ran and operated and owned the record shop when you're like a kid starting to DJ, they're like the coolest people in the world to you. You know, they're the, they're the gatekeepers of, you know, they're the ones that make sure, you know, have the have the hot records to, like below the counter and whatever. But they were endlessly supportive of me, you know, and I think that, that you know, without them, I wouldn't be where I am, who I am or anything today. You know, they were, you know, they gave me countless opportunities and trusted me and 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 and, you know, backed me and supported me and you know like i worked for them forever and like god it was like you know when things started happening for me you know across canada or internationally or whatever it was just like hey i need to you know take a month off to go on tour or whatever and they were just like cool have fun like we got you you know they were they were endlessly endlessly on my team and i can't begin to thank them enough for what they did for me um, you know, there's a ton of other people, you know, involved in my life who I could, you know, say similar things about, but those, those three people, um, God, <laughs> I mean, I can't even, I can't, it's actually quite difficult for me to put into words, uh, what their support meant to me. You know, they, 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 you know, I was just a kid. I was just this bright-eyed, eager kid who, you know, was, you know, probably ad admittedly a little too talkative <laughs> and friendly at, at a young age. And, um, you know, they just were like, cool. Like, do you want a job? Do you want to work here? Do you want to DJ here? Do you want to, you know, they just gave me countless opportunities that, uh, you know, all I can hope is that I like, you know, you know, did right by them really. Um, but yeah, God, those, those, those people mean the world to me. I love them to death. And, uh, they, 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 God, they helped me so much through, through, through my time. And, and, uh, yeah, I can't begin to thank them enough. I mean, they, they've been such a, a huge part in so many people's stories so like any any time i can let someone like reiterate that on here is a good day for me right they they deserve everything but just hearing it constantly it's a nice treat for them and it's funny i said rob and justin forgot to mention kyla but she would have been my last guest to actually was naming you by name so i i forgot to shout her out at her and that's uh very cool was that actually i should ask about employment was that like did you have jobs before working at the record store or was that your first job sure for sure i'm i mean when i started working i mean god i worked at a staples and a tim hortons when i was a kid and whatever but when i started working for treehouse when the record shop was downtown on 97th street uh you know god that's a whole nother topic is when we had kilohertz downstairs i think yeah. i think rob talked about it 
at some uh, when you when when you guys chatted. But um, when I started there, Neil Kisher, uh, who now lives in Calgary, was the manager at the time. So I was just working part time. Uh, but then Neil left. Uh, and when Neil left, I became the full time manager. And I mean, Rob and Judd were so cool about it. I mean, they had this little little sound system it was like a 18 inch bin with like a couple nice little uh, mid high tops with horns. And they just like let me use it. And only half the shop was used for the record store. And then the rest of it was vacant and they just let me like build my studio back there i moved all my records all my gear in there i brought a futon and a fridge and a microwave i used to sleep there you know like i would i would finish work lock the door go into the back you know kind of in the beginnings of me like starting to learn how to write music and play with synths and I'd play records for hours and hours and hours we never got complaints which is incredible because i was pretty loud um, and I'd like, you know, I had a fridge and a microwave so I could just eat and whatever. And sometimes it'd be like four or five in the morning and I just sleep. I just lie down on the futon, pass out till 1150, wake up, brush my teeth and unlock the door for the day. You know, <laughs> it was like, it was a pretty, pretty cool time in my life. You know, it was like pretty, pretty incredible to have that opportunity. And, and then they, they, you know, and then it moved back into Fush and kind of kind of moved on from that. But I think about that time when Neil left is when I, you know, kind of I was working for the city part, you know, in, in the summers as like a temporary employee doing like landscaping work or whatever. But that was that was kind of like the end of me having a sort of quote unquote you know, real job in that sort of sense. I don't know. It's kind of a weird way to put it, but, but yeah, that was, that was kind of the beginning of the end of that kind of life for me. And then just like basically being there, their, 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 their guy for a really long time. And that was, I mean, that was also like, I don't know. I think that's, I think one thing that maybe gets unsaid a lot about them as a group is that, because of how open and supportive and inviting they were, they taught me a lot about how important community building is. I think that's like in any subculture of art in general, I think that is community is everything. Without it, you have fucking nothing. And I think it's a testament to how long they've been around and been at the forefront of what's going on in Edmonton is because of their, maybe even they're unaware of it or whatever, but like their innate ability to create community and welcome, welcome anyone into, in, in, into what they're doing. And I don't know that, 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 that sort of ethos is like, really stuck with me for my entire life in terms of like how I build what I'm doing in my, in my own sort of artistic or creative or whatever expression. It's, it's interesting. It was, you know, all stems back to like the record show, you know, and just like, you know, doesn't matter who you are, you come in and you're interested in this stuff. It's like, you're, you know, you're, we're, 
we're down. You know, it's cool. Yeah, and you know when I I had them each on here to have talks actually a bit more about like you know food and and the restaurant business now, but they all ended up talking a lot about kind of the earlier days at the record store and how that kind of birthed all the offshoots. So I think they probably see that as pivotal as you see it as well. May I don't know if, if they place as much emphasis on it, but I know they definitely also speak highly of the times like spent at the record shop. Oh, it was the best, man. It was, I mean, I still, like, when people ask me about it, you know, when I mentioned that I like ran a record shop for like more than a decade, I think, I think I spent 12 or 11 years behind the counter of whatever it may be called, Fusha Treehouse. Um, it was the best job I ever had, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it was the sense of like, just like the whole purpose of it is to like, talk about culture and music and fun and fostering the connectivity between all of it is inspiring and i mean a blast it's 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 everything i've almost lived for since you know it's 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 those 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 years really formed me as a person and 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 formed my ideals and ideas about you know creative it's very 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 important i mean a lot of people yeah i i feel a lot of people not a lot but some people maybe can't even like track things back to a specific moment or era in what they were doing kind of a tribute the rest of their life to that thing. So it's nice to hear you can like definitively say everything now kind of came from then and like pay, pay the homage oh, to all that. Like a lot of people either don't realize or don't ever really get to like give certain flowers for certain things like before it's too late, but it, it's incredible to hear that you like no that's what it is and you can say it now for sure and i mean i mean god there's countless people who gave me opportunities and 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 shots in in music and whatever that i've kind of been involved in throughout my life but but those three people certainly certainly are the 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 sort of catalyst of of kind of everything that went on in my life you know and has gone on in my life and it's you know i've been really i mean i was back in edmonton for a year or so after i left europe uh before i came out to vancouver so really i haven't like lived in in edmonton for almost eight years now you know for the most part but it's you know, so it's like, I, I, I you know, I, I'm like really stoked to talk about this because, I mean, I don't, I, I think a lot of people who know me now may not, may not know this about me or I've never really had the opportunity to like have a conversation with someone about, about like what went on in Edmonton and what went on with me and, and the common and Foosh and Treehouse and 9910 and, you know, all this kind of stuff. But like, God, I mean, like, when we opened 9910, I was 
Oh God. I, I went on tour. I was in Europe on tour. It's gone for like a month. And when I came back, you know, there was always talks about, because the common was kind of going and really I was, you know, I, I guess you could say I worked there, but really I was like more or less just like the DJ, you know, I played every Wednesday and Saturday. I was like the resident, and, you know, just kind of did my thing. But when I came back from that tour, um, I was, I, I remember sitting at the bar with Rob and Judd and like the first thing they said to me, they were like, we did it. Like we, we released the space downstairs. It's going to be a club. And the first thing I said to them, like without hesitation was who's doing the sound. <laughs> and, you know, and I was like, what's the budget, you know? And they kind of gave me an idea of what they were thinking and what kind of budget they were thinking. And I was like kind of regularly playing this club in Montreal, uh, uh, blurry, um, that had a beautiful sound system by this company, DNB audio technic, which is like this German sound company. And they're not cheap. It's not cheap gear. Um, and they kind of gave me an idea what they were thinking for budget. And I was like, no, this is, this is what we need to do. Like we need to, we need to, you know, get a proper sound system, do this right. It'll give us longevity. It'll give us, give us, you know, like a leg up. And Rob kind of, you know, had this concerned look on his face and he was like, well, how much? And, you know, I think, I think they had, you know, not to throw numbers out there, but, you know, I think they had like a $10,000 budget in mind. And I was like at least 50 and Rob is jaw dropped and said, you got to be fucking kidding me. And I was like, yeah, but like, this is, this is what you need to, this is what needs to happen. And they trusted me, you know, they were just like, okay, like, okay, like whatever, let's do it. Let's figure it out. And I remember the day we got the sound system installed uh, and we were testing it and it was me and Mike Noga and we got like the first bit of music on. And this is like before we even like cued it or whatever. This is just like the first bit of sound coming out of the speakers. And Kyla walked into 9910, kind of stood there for a second and looked and, you know, Kyla is a person of like few words sometimes. And she just kind of looked at me and smiled and nodded. And she was like, okay, I get it. <laughs> and that was it. You know, and that was, that was, that was, that was, you know, you know, it was, you know, to be given that kind of trust and like, you know, cause it's not just like, Hey, like go for it. It's like a serious amount of money more than like what was expected or budgeted or whatever. And they just kind of were like, okay, let's go for it. Let's see what happens. And I mean, there's not many people on this earth that would just, do that and i can't believe you actually just uh led me to this question this whole time because i've heard i've heard the legend of, of how you kind of advise them on the sound and i was thinking like is there a way to actually ask you about the sound system but i didn't know how it was gonna kind of naturally come up but you've set me up so perfectly can you, I mean, take as long or as short as you want. Can you explain sort of how the sound works? Because I've, I've had people try to tell me before and I don't fully understand it. Like is the room is floating in itself. I don't know. Please, please explain. Yeah. I mean, 
Well, and that was like, I mean, really like your, your surfaces, your room, all of this sort of lens to how good it's going to sound in a room. I mean, you can make bad sound systems sound pretty good by like properly isolating, dampening, you know, all these sort of tricks and tools. But we also struggled or, you know, like a big sort of hurdle we had to to conquer with building that space was um, separating it. You know, like you're building a venue or a club or whatever you want to call it um, with like directly below a place, sure, common turns into a club after, you know, 930 on a Friday and Saturday night. But like, you know, like you have to set, you, you know, we had to separate the two, you know, and uh, dampening, you know, sub bass frequency at a high decibel through, you know, drywall and wood is a very difficult thing to accomplish. So basically that room is uh like it's not floating because it's a cement floor which was helpful <laughs> but uh the walls and the, the ceiling is hanging there's like a second secondary ceiling um you know typically that that ceiling would be uh about a foot higher if i can remember correctly uh but it's suspended on these chains and filled with insulation and then the walls actually don't meet the ceiling the idea of, you know, isolating, you know, sort of vibration and, and sound is by creating air gaps and not allowing anything to touch, essentially isolating your walls, isolating your ceiling, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and, uh, and so it's, yeah, it's, it's a hanging ceiling. The walls don't really actually meet any like points of, of contact with the ceiling above and, Really, I mean, it's not perfect, but we did a pretty damn good job with the budget that we had of isolating because it's, you know, like it's loud down there. It's a nice little sound system that's quite loud. And, you know, for the most part, you really don't even notice anything's going on downstairs when you're upstairs. You can feel a little bit of a rumble on the floor as you're sitting, but it's not anything to, to, to you know, kind of turn your head or, or, or make you kind of think twice about it. Um, and it's also a bit of a testament to like the, the quality of the sound down there as well. I mean, with, with going with more high end audio, you're getting a lot, you know, higher efficiency speakers, uh, in the sense of where like really like a, a good testament to like when you can kind of differentiate between good sound and bad sound is when you're in a room and it's still loud and you can have a conversation. You're not mudded by like all these unnecessary frequencies and sound that blasting your ears. It's just like very efficient, very precise gear that, uh, you know, certainly helps when you're isolating a room from another. But that's, 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 you get what you pay for, you know, in, in sound it's, it's good. Sound is not cheap. And, you know, really when, when you get down to it, it's, it's worth it in the end. Did you go to school or like, how did you learn all this? No, I mean, it's just, I mean, I've always just been interested, you know, in sound and I mean, it's, it's scientific and mathematical and whatever, but I've never gone to a day of audio class or, 
music school or I'm more or less, I guess you could say, I, I, I don't want to say self-taught because I think that's stupid, but um, I've, I've, I, I've just been a curious person and a lot of people along the way have landed their knowledge to me. And uh, uh, I've just been pretty keen to, you know, learn about what makes things good, really. I mean, I've, I've, I've always been very interested in, in history of, of dance music. I was like, a I was religious at like, you know, my favorite book about me, you know, dance music is last night at DJ saved my life, which is like a incredible recommended to anybody who's interested in dance music culture to read it. It's an incredible book about sort of every sort of scene that's kind of existed up until it was written um, and it's not just like a history lesson. It's very informative on culture and human beings as well. Um, and I was like searching out documentaries and reading magazines. And I was obsessed, you know, and still am really to this day about all that kind of stuff. And I mean, you know, we opened 9910. I didn't really know much about <clears throat> operating like a 32 channel mixing desk and like, all that kind of stuff but you know it was my job to know it so i did my best to learn it as as well as i could incredible that a you knew how to do this in the club but it's also pretty cool that you explained it perfectly in a way that i like fully understand what's going on in that room sound wise and it took you like a minute and a half to to break it down for me so i'm assuming anyone listening probably absorbed that information as easy as i did that's incredible like i was saying a few people explained it to me and i sort of got it but i just needed maybe the person who kind of did it all to break it down in a way that i would understand but thank you now I mean, I have no idea how it actually works, but I have an idea of how it starts to work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 you know, sort of principles of sound, really, it's like, really, I mean, it's, it's like everything. It's just like understanding the basics of, of, of sound and acoustics and then working your way from that. Um, it's really important. I mean, God, it's, even just being a DJ and like learning how the equipment you're playing with works is, is super important. And, you know, uh, it's not everybody involved in, in music learns that kind of stuff. To me, it's very important and for some people it's not, and it doesn't need to be, but for me, I've just always been genuinely interested in, in how things work. You know, I think it gives you a lot of insight into like, you know, I guess sort of taking how things work and like putting it out to the world and being creative with it. Being uh, like so immersed in all that, did it kind of spoil you? Like, did it ruin other clubs for you? Like hearing sound that wasn't that dialed in? I mean, I think, God, I mean, God, spending a lifetime in, in music, um, I don't know. I, I try not to, to, you know, some people have, some clubs have limitations. Some people have limitations. I try not to judge. Um, when it comes to other places, I mean, 
certainly yes it was like great to like have a nice sound system to like you know fool around with and play on when i was throwing my own events there and stuff like that um and certainly when you're in a room when the sound isn't kind of up to the level of like what you like to hear sure it's not awesome you know but i mean i kind of had to like i think i think it's living living and touring in europe was like a interesting bit of perspective for me because i mean it's just the markets you know like canada and north america in general i think it's certainly growing but i think go the markets are just entirely different you know in europe it's like most clubs you go to have a fairly decent sound system and fairly decent sort of acoustics and dampening in the room whereas uh we're kind of confronted with uh a lot more uh obstacles i guess you could say when you're kind of like doing stuff in north america i mean europe has i mean europe in general just has a more appreciation for the arts unless there's more funding more grants more more stuff to kind of help you along whereas in north america you have to do a lot of a lot of stuff on your own and financially back it on your own you know which is you know this shit isn't cheap you know like it was like the the you know double dragon now which the crew took over you know from whatever it was before um it was just serendipitous that when that space originally opened they got mike noga who helped us out with the 9910 sound uh they asked him to do the sound there as well and he loved the audio or the dmb audio technic stuff that we put in 9910 so he pushed that brand of of speakers uh on them in that room and now that uh rob justin and kyla took that space over i went i was back for the holidays and went went to went to a, a resident show there and fuck it sounds good it was like this is like one of the best sounding rooms in western canada and um god it was like god it's like i don't, I, I don't know if you've checked out the space or whatever whatever it was before but they were just like there was residents was doing a a, a party there and I, I god it just sounds fucking great in there <laughs> it sounds so good and it was just you know by luck and chance that you know that large of a system was purchased and put in that room it sounds great i don't know if you have a chance to check it out it's it's worth it just to hear the quality of I haven't I haven't been to Double Dragon yet, but it's funny Carla was was talking about how it's sort of, um, I forget what word she used. I don't want to put the wrong word in mouth, but almost like underused, like probably just because of the quality of the sound, and they haven't thrown like that many huge shows there yet. But I assume in the future, like they're coming, right? Like why? What's the point of having an impeccable sound like that if you're not, like, using it to its full advantage? Yeah, and I mean, you know, I'm sure they're just, like, you know, it's still fresh. So they're, you know, it's nice It's nice to know that they have sort of, like, the, this, I guess you could say, leeway to, like, kind of slowly figure out what's best for that space um because more often than not you a lot of places you know you open a space and it's just like you know head down shove as much crap into it as you can and see what floats 
Um, whereas now they can sort of be a lot more calculated and, and, and spend the time to like figure it out. But I mean, really like, God, I would love, I mean, it's a beautiful sense. So I like, I'm hoping to bug them at some point to play there. Cause sounds great it really does it sounds very good in that yeah i had a couple other friends i think maybe even actually attend the same residence event you're talking about and they they had nothing but good things to say about like the the sound but also just the aesthetics of the venue like everything is is done very properly which i mean they don't really seem to do things improperly but another good thing they've done yeah i mean it's 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 a great space and like i mean really with the size of it at least for edmonton the potential is 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 large you know there's it's a beautiful room with a great sound system run by people who honestly care about their community and, and and their city i mean sky's the limit when 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 you've got all those those cards in your hand i um want to want to ask you one thing before i let you uh get back to your your weekend here but i constantly maybe not constantly but i have a couple they're mutual friends of both of ours and i always try to like prod them for for info on if it's possible to live in Edmonton and still kind of excel in in music, and they seem to think it is sort of. And I I wonder if your move to Vancouver was that because it it just like you almost had to to be able to like expand to what you want to expand to. Was it not possible to do it from here, or like what's what's your personal opinion? No. No, I think with the way the world is now with social media and whatever, you could live in, you know, Barhead and still make a career out of music, really, truly, if you put your mind to it. And I mean, making a career in music is also very dependent on like catching a few lucky breaks and whatever. But my move to Vancouver was certainly more of a, I mean, I left Europe, you know, I was, you know, doing the thing. I was touring year round and playing a lot of shows. And um, I left there because I wanted to slow down as I aged and, you know, definitely certainly wanted to start building a bit more of a future for myself outside of music. Not to say that I am not still heavily involved in it, but I was certainly slowing down. And, um, I mean, yeah, I, I think doing what I do locally uh, isn't possible. Well, I, I don't want to say it's not possible, but like just sort of status quo isn't really something I could do and sort of, you know, be as lucrative as I am here as as you are in Edmonton, as, as I would be in Edmonton. But um I don't know. I think things have changed. I think there was a long time where a lot of people felt if you wanted to make it, you had to leave Edmonton. But I mean, Jared's a prime example, you know, Jared's crushing it. Jared's, you know, doing remixes for Peggy Goo and Lenny Kravitz and, you know, 
touring quite regularly while living in Edmonton. You know, Dylan, another person like, you know, Dylan's Dylan's been, you know, played a lot more in 2023 and did a Japan tour, played all over the States and Canada and, and uh, uh, you know, whilst living in Edmonton, I think that sort of time has changed. I don't think, I don't think it necessarily matters where you live anymore. Uh, it was just for me moving to Vancouver, there is, you know, the, the fact of the matter is there's just a bigger market for dance music locally. And though I'm still, you know, hitting Europe once in a while and, you know, playing shows in the States or across Canada or whatever, um, I think there's just more opportunity for me to like stay, stay home and like be able to like go out and play a show, get paid well for it and, you know, sleep in my own bed that night, which is like a bit more of what I'm after these days. So that was, that was like really what pushed my, my move to Vancouver in that sort of realm. I mean, there's plenty of other reasons or whatever, you know, but, but no, I don't, I don't, I don't think it really matters as much as it used to. I mean, certainly helps meeting people, connecting with, you know, different people and scenes and seeing people come through, but um, it is, it is possible to, you know, make it, so to speak, living in Edmonton or living in Calgary or living in God, even Red Deer, you know? Uh, that's funny. Dylan and Jared were, were the two names I was thinking of. They're the mutual friends who tell me it's possible. So that perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Jared's in France right now. I think he played a, you know, he's played a party last night, <laughs> you know, like, and then he like goes home and like gets to like, you know, be with his wonderful family and like Marcy and, and, uh, and Isha, and, like they have a great house and Richie and like, you know, like it's, it's awesome. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of beautiful. And I don't, I don't, you know, I can't really speak for them, but I, I don't know if that was like really intentional or whatever, you know, it was just, they move at least from what Jared said, they move back to Edmonton during the pandemic kind of just like, Hey, we need to get out of New York, uh, while this is going on. And, you know, I, th I think at least for Jared, you know, from the outside looking in, it's, it's, it's obvious that like, you know, he realized that he can still do what he wants to do there, you know, and that's awesome. You know, and like I said, I don't know if 15, 20 years ago, that was that you could say the same thing, but I think times have changed and, location isn't as important as it as it is um i think you still need to like get out there in the world and you know meet people and network and blah 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 but um i think for for the people living in edmonton now i think the possibility of like making something of yourself in in any kind of art or creative space is certainly a lot more possible than it used to be quite optimistic no, I, I agree, but I most people like probably wouldn't be as optimistic and positive about that sentiment. So, I mean, that's incredible that you can be. And they those two are great examples. And I do see people doing it more these days. I just I always like to ask ask these questions to people who like have a response based on like actually living in it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like, I'm, I'm, you know, speaking purely from like a dance music perspective, because that's like, mostly what I've been involved in for 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 my life. But look at look at look at a band like Homefront, 
like they're killing it, you know, like going on European tours and, you know, like nominate, you know, like they've, they've, you know, Clinton the crew have like done really well for themselves out of Edmonton, you know, and, you know, they're, they're also proof that, that, that things can happen, you know, like it's really just putting in the work and, you know, go for it. You know, there's, there's no limit these days, especially with, with the dawn of social media and the internet, like things are possible. If you, if you really set your mind to it. Yeah, I guess, uh, you can't really do that off flying cars. So maybe I fully, fully retract. <laughs> Take yeah, back yeah. my earlier statement. Maybe you can fly our cars and be popular only here, but if you want to make it outside while still living here, you might have to use some of the more updated promotional tactics. Yeah, you have to dabble in the dark arts of PR and press and whatever, but no, it's possible. I'm I'm firm believer in it, you know, and, and really like my sort of you know, international career in music started while I lived in Edmonton, you know, that's where it began for me. I mean, I left Edmonton in 2017, you know, after getting taken on by a European uh, booking agency and like, you know, that all came from what I was doing in Edmonton and, you know, slowly branching out to other places in Canada. But that's where that came from. You know, like I got my start in the world of international dance music out of living in Edmonton. Boston. Do you know, like, how, how were you, um, is discovered the right word? Like, how did they find you at that point? Like, do you know which project actually brought that attention? I mean, it's just like, I mean, it's just a mixture of, of, luck and circumstance i mean there's tons of super talented people out in out there in the world who don't like really like you know there is there is something to say about like catching a break and whatever but for me it was just like you know you know i played a festival where like uh you know there was you know dance music publications there and that led to like a bit of press which led to me just serendipitously going to Europe for a friend's wedding and trying to play some shows. And this human being who I had met years beforehand and, you know, remained friends with sort of saw an opportunity with what I was doing and offered to help me book a tour. It went pretty well. And they offered to take me on full time and asked when I was going to move to Europe. It was just like this very fortunate serendipitous you know course of events that led to me being able to you know doing it full time and like making a living off it and you know i i i have to give thanks to you know the <laughs> the the universe for like you know allowing that to happen you know and like i said it's like there's a lot of talented people out there who like don't get the same opportunity I was just really lucky, you know, and luckily was able to, you know, get to get to do the thing and still continue to do it. But, um, you know, there's a million different routes and factors and paths to do it. I think it's just a matter of like having all the right things happen at the right time.
still like pretty pretty cool story. I always love hearing when like things gonna go the the right way or the way someone saw them going and it's all it's kind of organic and it is just like it all falls into place at the right time instead of someone like going out and kind of insisting this is gonna happen like that's fine too to like force it to happen but i i like the stories where they just kind of like someone's rewarded for their hard work but it all happens sort of organically instead of more forced yeah i mean i i thought i i never had an intention of moving to europe and you know touring full-time and and that kind of stuff it was just serendipitous and and you know i was presented with opportunities at the right time in my life and you know i'm kind of in the same boat it's like you know i think there's something honest i guess about just kind of like following your 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 love and passion for what you do and and getting rewarded for it you know i guess you could say um and that's kind of how i always you know kind of looked at music it was just like something i loved and something i did and you know was obsessed with and really just didn't know any other way and continued to pursue it and eventually good things happen but like really i think it's kind of like you know if there's any other people out there who are like pushing to 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 go somewhere and in 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 any creative field i think the best thing you can do is just love what you do and keep going and not necessarily worry too much about you know a a, a plan and just kind of follow what you what you care about and love and eventually good things happen yeah there and you know what i always hear about people taking the opposite approach right and as i'm saying they be more kind of forceful and more insistent with it and that's when you always hear people complaining they put so much into this and it's not going the way they wanted i feel like some people place too much importance and like stress on it happening and that detracts from it actually happening so maybe your approach of just putting in the effort but not really banking on a big moment is what brought the bigger moments to you yeah i mean i think you have to take stock in why you do it in the first place you know like i do music because i i'm obsessed and love it you know and like whether or not i'm you know, ha having opportunity to share that passion with people or not, you know, in, in, in grand scope of things doesn't really change, you know, whether I have the opportunity or not, it's something I just want to do. And, and I don't know, it's, it's, uh, I, I think, I think what drives you I guess you could say is, 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 is really like the forces as, as to what sort of like the outcomes tend to be. Yeah. And I, I also love a story like that where people 
are like yeah, we were we're obsessed with this thing. We we were gonna do it either way, like whether it happened or whether it worked or not. We just wanted to do it. Yeah, I mean, I can I can tell you right now if you know if I you know didn't have all these incredibly fortunate experiences in my life uh, that led me to you know leave Edmonton, move to Europe, or end up here in Vancouver or whatever. I can tell you with complete honesty right now, if none of that would have happened, I'd still be in Edmonton and pursuing the exact same thing I am now um, or, you know, was currently doing back then before I left, you know, to this day. It wouldn't not, you know, nothing, nothing would change. You might still be working at Staples. <laughs> yeah, Tim Martin's. <laughs> i uh, i said that was the last question but i have one it's not even a question it's a a statement more or less when you moved i don't know if it was when you moved to europe or after you moved home and then moved to vancouver you must have had a, a big record sale because there have been a couple of times where i'm buying a record like just for listening or a friend is buying some records and it always comes back to the seller throwing in like these are dane's records like these came from dane's sale really so, <laughs> so there's like some some legacy of all your past records like still living on with you being out of the city i mean that makes me overjoyed to hear that because i mean there was before i moved to europe i mean i had amassed a collection you know nothing wow at least from my perspective nothing too crazy but i had a collection of about ten thousand, and i you i had a big sale i probably sold 60 percent of it in one shot uh to, to help fund my move um and subsequently afterwards had a few other, you know, certainly smaller sales or whatever. I probably had five or six, you know, thereabouts sales while, while I was in Edmonton or when I was like back for Christmas or something um, where I basically just set up, you know, my own little record shop in my parents' house or something <laughs> and had everybody over and, sold records and honestly like you know it's almost traumatic to like you know your record at least for me my record collection is like a literal part of my being and to like sell it is borderline traumatic but um those were super fun and i can't even like going out you know months later and hearing someone play a record and being like running up to the DJ booth and being like, what is this? And, you know, having someone be like, I bought this from you, <laughs> you know, is like really joyful. And not to say that I haven't like rebought a fair amount of those records that I sold way back when, but uh, um, that's super cool to hear that uh, all those records I sold back when are still floating around the city. That makes me quite happy. Yeah, they must, I mean, maybe even, 
found like multiple homes since then. Like who knows if if the person that bought the big badge is selling smaller amounts and then they're being sold. Uh, it seems like something that has legs forever. Red leg records last and people are always gonna know like where they came from. Or at least like for a few generations they'll know maybe at some point they'll kind of get lost in the ether but i just wanted to end that i would have almost forgot to tell you but yeah i've heard a few times people saying these came from the infamous sale which may have been may have been the big one that one sounds infamous it might have been the big one i mean there was a lot of records that went that day it was uh it was it was pretty wild day to be honest it was it's like 20, 20, 20, 25 people that came, came by and dug through and I mean, they were just flying and God. And then I think at the end I sold actually Yuri Vunch and uh, Jason Sather. Um, they, they're the ones who do the oh, super right, mega record right. sale. And yeah, they, they, anything that was left over after people kind of picked through it, they purchased everything that was left over in bulk from me at the end of at least a couple of those sales. Um, so I wouldn't doubt they still have, they still have a f quite a few of them kicking around their, their very, very large collections <laughs> of records. That's uh, super cool. Hopefully it uh, didn't stir up too much trauma of having to part with all your, your vinyl after forever. No, 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 no. No, I mean they're they're just things, you know. Really, when it comes down to it, but uh, but uh, you know, I'm sitting in my apartment, being surrounded by a few thousand at this point in time. So <laughs> they come and they 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 go and they certainly come back. Yeah, I know. Everyone always says they're just things, but. You know, I have a couple of cameras that I would I would be heartbroken if I had to part with. So te six thousand records, I definitely can can assume the like tugging at heartstrings that that would accomplish selling that much off. Well, I always had a rule too that uh, I announced it as soon as people came by. It was like I have the right to revoke any record from being on sale. And I use that right a number of times where, you know, just for future reference, if anybody's making buying records off me, don't get too excited when you're listening to them. Because a few times when people would be like, oh my God, I can't believe you're selling this. And I'd listen to it and I'd be like, I'm not. <laughs> Sorry, it's coming back. Um, but, uh, um, you know, there was a few I, I kept and, you know, a few that got away, but... If, like, absolutely. I mean, to equate that to my love of photography, the exact same thing. If I was selling a camera and then someone came up and started talking to me about, you know, like certain photos I've taken on this camera or how well this camera works in certain light, I would definitely revoke the sale too. It's like, you've, you just reminded me why I love <laughs> yeah. this thing and now I can't sell it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I can honestly tell you any, any and every record in my record collection, I can honestly tell you, 
you know, where it came from or who I bought it from or what dig I was on in some other city where, you know, like, I don't know. I think that's, that's the, you know, the secondary beauty to like just the, the media that's on it is that it's, you know, it's, it's, it's the story of your life, you know, and the attachment to, you know, your own history that, um, you know, these, you know, things I say that are just things, but certainly they, 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 they create memory and, and, and experience. And, you know, that's kind of, you know, on a side note, one of the beautiful parts about collecting, you know, you know, music or art or anything in that sort of realm. I I agree a thousand percent. I I can't really think of anything that will top that sentiment. Like I feel we we should hop <laughs> off here because we're not gonna be able to leave on a more like positive note. Unless there's anything agreed pertinent that you wanna talk about. I I think that's that's a great episode. I've I've checked off an episode that I've really wanted to do forever. So thank you so much for allowing this to happen. I know, uh, I mean, I'm happy, but I can think of all the people asking me when there's going to be a Dane episode. They're happy now too. And they can move on to whoever their next guest is. A lot of these are probably the same people who said, we want a Justin episode. So I got Justin. Then they wanted Kyla, so we got Kyla. They've always wanted you. I wonder who's next. Well, uh, all I have to say is uh, I've been, you know, tuning in and, like, getting, uh, like, a, a lot of enjoyment out of these podcasts that you've been doing and, you know, the people you've been talking to and, like, the, the, the you know, connecting connecting all these things and in, in sort of Edmonton's history you know, where I grew up and, you know, formulated my, my being. Um, uh, so I just want to say thanks for what you do. Uh, they're all extremely enjoyable and I'm glad we finally got a chance to talk and, uh, and do it. It was, uh, I've really enjoyed, I mean, God, I, I think we went longer than I expected, but, uh, it's been a very enjoyable near two hours of chat. Uh, so thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, no problem. The pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much. And uh, enjoy the rest of your day and the rest of the weekend. I'll uh, hopefully talk to you soon. And maybe, maybe when you're home playing Double Dragon, I'll come by and say what's up. <laughs> Sounds good, man. I actually am back. Uh, I'm back in Edmonton on the 29th for Downtown Defrost. So I'll be... Uh, I'll be back there, back in Edmonton for that. That's my, my next show back home. Cool. Okay, yeah, I, I had no idea. I'll uh I'll mention that in the show notes and then I'll I mean I I doubt that will do anything you can't do on your own, but yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me, Wes. Appreciate it, man. See ya. Hey, take care.